0: okay another edition of the edlo podcast and we are here with
1: one of the few people
0: who make me feel small in the world
1: paul isadora how are you i'm doing good man uh excited i've obviously heard uh, a lot of your your uh, podcasts uh i guess i've listened to mostly wrestling ones i don't know if i've listened to many of the other ones obviously i think it's i don't know if that's how everybody else is but kind of like they can choose like hey i think i'll be interested in listening to what this person has to say. So, um, yeah, so haven't, uh, haven't dealt, uh, dove into a whole lot, but, uh, wrestling ones for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the way I think that mine's set up is, you know, not everything is going to hit everywhere, but I'm interested in talking to everybody and then, uh, people can pick and choose what they like. We've had, uh, I've had a lot of really cool ones. Oh, look at this. My emails are just like kicking out. Hold on. I gotta get that out of here. I've been, uh, it's crazy, man, getting ready for trial and, and stuff like that is just so crazy. Um, but anyhow, so, uh, yeah, I met you a long time ago. And like I said, I mean, I mean, it was probably what, 2009, 2010.
1: Right. So I think it was probably when you were getting ready to start running shows, right? Something yeah.
0: Yeah. Like? Yeah. You and Lester and, uh, and all the Reno, kind of the Reno scum and Choopy kind of got everybody involved. And you were one of those guys, just like, just like the scum and just like Chupi that I was like, I, I want these guys on my shows and, um, right, right. Can, and, um, tell me, well, first let's, let's go back and talk a little bit. Where did you grow up?
1: So I'm, I'm from San Jose, California. So, um, obviously just not too far from, from where you're from, I guess. But, um, yeah, San Jose, California. So born in Fremont, uh, mm. and we moved to San Jose, so and then I think I lived there from probably like age three to all the way through junior college. Mm. Uh, so same house the whole time. So just, yeah. Um, yeah. just, uh, I don't know. I just, I think I have a good, you know, good upbringing. Parents tried to probably do what all parents try to do and, you know, make their uh, kids life better than theirs. So, and I think yeah. as, a, as a parent, you know, we probably feel the same way. It's like, I just want to, Give my kid a better life than i
0: had yeah yeah that's interesting yeah i agree and it's interesting too the cycle of that because you gotta you know you had a good upbringing and you want to make a better life for your kid but where is the line for that right because you know you you, you spoil them too much and then they they come out soft mm-hmm. i'm running into that right now i had a i, don't, I wouldn't say i don't know i it it's right I wouldn't say rough upbringing i mean it was it was tough i had you know i've shared on here before you know i had a a father who you know he's he he dealt with some demons and you know and all that and neither one of my parents went to college well they went but they never graduated and uh and so i wanted to make a better life for them and i believe i have but uh as far as the finances and things like that but you got to find like a, a good balance between giving them the things you didn't have but also not getting, making them kind of entitled, you know, have you noticed
1: that yourself? Oh, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, we, um, I know, I, I remember my parents like vividly telling me about a uh, a Christmas where they were like on the verge of bankruptcy and like, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if it's between buying him every gift on the, on the list and, and going bankrupt, you know, let's just get it over with. And, Um, you know, have a great Christmas and, you know, we'll kind of deal with uh, that after the fact, Um, you know, never, never filing for bankruptcy, but that was the mentality, you know, like Mm. um, kind of, we're going to kind of scrap everything we can together to, you know, to uh, uh, maybe hide the fact that we're in, um, you know, a bad way financially. And, um, you know, and I think my, my parents kind of were in a, Maybe a situation where maybe some jobs that dead end jobs like far away, they both worked in like San Mateo, uh, San Francisco area. So, you know, a 45 minute or a 45 mile commute w- you know, with traffic and uh, just make for long days. And um, but then they ended up getting into the real estate business like my dad, uh, uh, older in life, went to college. He's, he was in the Navy. So. Went to the college you know went to college for free with the GI bill or whatever uh, the terminology was for it at that point and um, you know graduated college you know I think maybe close to 40 I'm not sure exactly but um yeah so just trying to you know trying to make a better life I and mean, he was the first one in our family to uh, to go to college and then obviously graduated as well so um you know kind of set the bar for me as far as that was concerned uh, so that was kind of the goal. Yeah. Wow. So, now are you an only child? Do you have uh, brothers and sisters? Yep. I'm an only child. So, um, yeah. My my parents um, were married for 11 years, um, trying to have children, and uh, just just wasn't you know wasn't happening. So they are on that on the verge, like you know well, we want to have a family. So maybe we'll just adopt, and then ended up getting pregnant. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So just, um, you know, so they were early 30s when when I was born, Um, you know, and I guess in in some circles, you'd say that, you know, you have those those parents that do that. Right. They want to get their career off the ground. They want to get that established um, and then they're going to have children later in life. um, And then obviously the opposite side of the spectrum, you have those people that are, um, you know, have kids early and then kids are out of the house when they're 40
0: so yeah yeah I know when <clears throat> when I decided to have kids I always wanted to have them younger just because my uh, my grandfather was a really cl- <laughs> I was really close to him but he kind of similar to your parents him and my grandmother had a really hard time having kids so they were closer I think they were in their mid-30s maybe even closer to 40s when my mm-hmm. mom and my aunt were born and um and so I just remember my grandparents were always old you know what i mean uh they just not super active i was the oldest of the of the kids so i got a little bit of it but i think my grandpa was maybe 60-ish 65 when i was born and and so he was a little older and so i just remember thinking to myself I want to be a young dad so that that way I could play with my kids, still play basketball with them. And then if, maybe even do that with my grandkids, you know, and that's, so I started having them in my mid twenties mm-hmm. and, uh, and that I think that worked out for me. Do you think, uh, do you ever wish
1: as an only child that you would have had brothers and sisters Oh, all the time? And it's, it's crazy because these are conversations. So I've got five daughters mm-hmm. and these are conversations that I have with them all the time. Like, you know, I can't believe you guys are fighting because <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have, you know, a friend that lives next, you know, in the next room over. Like I, I would have, uh, you know, I would have died for that. And I, I was always like, man, just, you know, you're having to have, use your imagination to, to think of things to do because, you know, you're in your room by yourself. And it's just like, you know, what game am I going to, you know, figure out and put together or, um, you know, because, you know, maybe your friends aren't home or whatever. Um, so you just kind of left to to your own devices and uh, try to figure things out on your own. So I'm just I'm always just amazed, like you know what's going on. Like you ha- you have this person that's your friend, and uh, but for some reason you guys can't get along. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do that with my kids all the
0: time. They seem like they're always fighting, especially the girls. The girls are just. It was funny. My girls went and uh, spent a week with their mom camping. And uh, and so it was just me and the boys, mm-hmm. and it was so funny because we went to my mom's house, and my mom was like, "So do you miss your sisters?" And they're both like, "No, right. <laughs> they're like, no." They're like, "It's been so quiet. It's been nice. Nobody's fighting. There's no drama. We just like we eat pizza. We watch movies. It's great, <laughs> you know." it's so yeah, exactly. there, yeah. So five girls, man. There's a lot of estrogen going on in your
1: place, right? Yeah. Uh, so, it's, it's so a, lot, uh, a lot of cooking as well though you know cooking and uh just i don't know i can uh i can parent from a, uh a teenage boys perspective so i kind of give them the the you know the insight on like hey you know maybe this guy's giving you attention for the wrong reason yeah
0: um, so yeah oh man so what are the ages of your girls
1: um one is gonna be 21 this year then there's one that's 18. 13, 10 and 4. So wow. Spread out quite a bit as well. You know, that's funny. My
0: parent my parents spread us out too. There's four of us. So I I there's me, my brother's 5 years younger than me, my next uh my sister's 10 years younger than me, and then my other sister's 21 years younger than me. So we're oh, wow. just all spread out like that. And uh um was the were the last couple were you trying to get a boy or was it just did they come on no, accident?
1: We, we We never found out the gender uh, of any of the babies, you know, it was always just like, you know, you pray for um, a healthy child right and it was just. um, Our original thought like when we got married was we want to have three children so um, you know we had the first two obviously fairly close together um, and then the next one a little bit further out and then it was almost like okay so now. The older two are kind of buddy buddy, and they kind of ignore the younger ones. We're like, "Well, what if we just have one more, and then it'll be like two sets of companions." Mm -hmm. Um, And then at some point, it was just kind of like you felt like something was missing. So um, we're like, "You know, why don't we just we'll try one more time?" And um, you know, and then you know, it felt like uh, like life was complete at that point. So. Um yeah and ironically i was talking to somebody else and they're like you know what man the exact same thing happened in my family like you just felt like there's a there's a hole and then now that uh, that void is full so um that's kind of how it was for us
0: no that's exactly the way it was yeah i mean uh I, I i remember when my fourth came when lincoln came i remember being like that's it we're good you know right. and that that was it and So it's, it's funny how that works out. It's almost innate, you know, you have it in your, you just have an instinct for it. So it's interesting. Now going back to your childhood. So I, so I'm six, seven, I'm the biggest person in my family by a long shot. Okay. Uh, Is that the way it is for you too? Or was your parent, were your parents also really tall?
1: No, you know, my dad was like uh, about maybe six, three, my mom was probably five, eight. So maybe, you know, you would consider that a tall person, Um, you know, for an average person, but for me, it was like, you know, I was the same size as my dad as probably maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school. Um, And so I don't know. I mean, I think my dad said he had a, maybe an uncle that was six, seven or something like that. But besides that, I mean, all my, uh, my uncles, my dad's brothers were, you know, that six foot range, five, 10 things like that. Uh, But you know, big, thicker guys, so, uh, hmm. I don't know, so maybe I got, like, a little bit of that, you know, adult thickness, but somehow continue to grow, I don't know. Yeah, why well, would. that's
0: it. that's a thing also that I've, no, I noticed about you, and I kind of related to you, was that you're tall, but you're also not, like, there's a lot of tall, skinny guys out there, right, but, like, you know, I was always, I was always the tallest guy in my class, but I was also big. I just was always big. Right. And you just kind of struck me as the same type. Were you always kind of the biggest guy in your class?
1: No, you know, actually I graduated high school, probably six, seven, um, 165, probably something like that. Really? So, yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd have to like, maybe take a look at some of the pictures on my Facebook or something and you'll just see like, I'm just this like bean pole, um, <laughs> But I don't know always kind of had a bit of athleticism um but yeah just i i constantly tell people about like so my daughter's 13 she just started playing basketball um mm. and i feel like she's going through the same type of cycle that i did and i feel like when i was 10 years old i was pretty well coordinated with um athletic ability versus height um mm. and then that probably didn't happen again until Maybe eighteen or so, nineteen, mm-hmm. uh, and then another spurt like that until you know, I was like six seven to six ten, and then then I felt like everything kind of fell back into place where mm-hmm. I was kind of used to my body. Um, and my daughter's going through the same thing, so she's thirteen and she's five ten. Um, mm-hmm. so, wow! So um, you know, so it's just I'm I'm just seeing the same pattern that i went through and i remember just being so frustrated like never making an all-star team and yeah. uh you know thinking like i'm a good i'm a good player you know thinking to myself like uh, you know why am i not making the all-stars but looking back and i've you know talked to some of my friends about um you know my daughter and they're like hey you were exactly like that man that sounds exactly like your story so, yeah um so yeah i mean i didn't i feel like i didn't put on like the um, maybe grown man muscle until maybe even after college. I, I feel like I played in college at like 225, 235, something like that. And then when I started playing overseas is when I finally got to like 250 or 265. Um, so, you know, when I was in, you know, early to mid twenties, I think. Wow. Was like like I, I always describe it as getting like your grown man muscles or, your grown
0: man strength yeah so that's it's funny you bring that up because yeah i feel the same way like i i was just really uncoordinated i mean i grew i grew fast so i i was in sixth grade i was six foot tall Hello. and then and then when i got to freshman year i was six 260. Hello. so so i mean i was i was big and i mean i they everybody wanted me for every sport you know what right. i mean it's just because i was just so gigantic. They wanted me for but football basketball baseball shot put like everything right. and i and i played basketball and so you know we played with matt barnes who was a year ahead of me and all that right. so we had a good time but like um but i remember those years seventh eighth grade freshman year trying to kind of figure out i think i kind of started figuring out uh because i was a little i was pretty doughy i had some baby fat most of the time until i got to be about a junior and i trimmed down and, uh, and then that's when I really grew into my body and was able to play. And then that's when I started kind of diving into the wrestling. Sounds like you had a similar things just a little bit later.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, um, and I was truly, I was a baseball guy from age eight to 18, I think. Um, hmm. and then my junior year of high school, um, I, you know, tried out for basketball and got cut and then <laughs> they asked me to play that summer. So, I played with them in the summer league um, and then made the team as a senior. Um, and ironically, my freshman year, I was probably 6'2", and my math teacher was the basketball coach. But never mm-hmm. once did he try to uh, persuade me into playing basketball, which I just <laughs> think, like, from a basketball coach's mindset, it's like, I feel like, you notice every tall person on your campus and go, Hey, uh, why don't you come out and play basketball with us?
0: Oh, they, yeah, they it were just, all over me. As soon as I walked in, they were all over me. Right. Yeah, they wanted me to play everything. And, and, uh, and I just, like I said, the, my dad was a basketball guy. I actually, I went to summer, the summer before my freshman year, I went to the first for football practice. You know, they had summer practices and the basketball team was playing. And so my dad was waiting to pick me up and he went over to the basketball uh, coach and the coach was just came out and asked him who your son is. And he pointed to me and he waved him over and he, he waved me over and I said, he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm playing football. And he goes, well, why don't you quit that crap and come play basketball? And I was like, uh, well, I mean, I, I do like basketball. You know, that is my number one sport. Right. And he and he said, uh, he goes, well, we got Matt Barnes and we go to all these places and he'll be a senior when you're a junior. Why don't you come out and play summer league with us and see if you like it? So that's what I did. And then, you know, yeah, he, so that my dad pushed me that way. And I think it was a good move, you know, um, because football, and now we're hearing all this more stuff about head injuries and things of that nature. Probably a good thing. I probably would have gotten stuck on an O-line or a D-line somewhere and, of you know, and so, so, um, so when did you, tell, you ended up playing for university of Nevada, Reno, right? Oh. And then you ended up going overseas. So tell me how that progression happened.
1: Well, so, I mean, it was one of those things. So like I told you, my dad was in the Navy. So, uh, graduated from high school and it was like, all right, so you got two options. You're either going to go to the military or you're going to go to college. And I just didn't think, um, I was tough enough to go into the military. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go to this junior college, which was San Jose city college. Um, and, uh, it just so happened that they were, uh, like perennial, um, you know, final four in California junior college. Um, really? so, so it just so happened I go there and I'm, you know, I'm competing with these guys and it's like, probably our team was like nine black dudes and three white dudes. Um, <laughs> so I, I just got beat up, like physically, uh, abused by these much more talented, um, much more confident um, other players, you know? So, um, and uh, you know, I just got better and better. So, um, you know, came from being in high school on a really bad high school team, poorly coached, uh, to going to this coach and his name's Percy Carr. um, And I believe he's the winningest coach in California Junior College history. Um, Mm. So, I think he was, you know, he was a decade or two in when I got there, and I graduated in '93. Um, and I think he coached decades after that. So, um, but it was just like a military-type uh, coaching mentality. It was just like, you know, you're you expect perfection, and and you look back, and it's like, you know, from a coaching mindset, it's probably like he saw something in me that it's mm-hmm. like. You know you need to achieve um this level um of success you know this is what your potential is so i'm going to get every drop of potential out of you so um i basically gray shirted my first year there um and then you know played the next two years um and you know probably had maybe a a dozen scholarship offers um, hmm. I ended up actually signing with UC Santa Barbara um, and then uh, kind of got a, a, a taste of reality about uh, politics and coaching. The coach that was uh, recruiting me uh, got fired and then uh, mysteriously, I didn't qualify academically to go to that school. So hmm. I was in like mad dash mode. Um, Santa Barbara's on a quarter system. Um, versus um, semester systems with a lot of other colleges. So, you know, they were a few months out, but other colleges were, you know, like six weeks out. So it's like, mm. now I got six weeks to find another place to play. So, you know, now I'm calling all the coaches that have offered me a scholarship and saying, hey, uh, do you still have a scholarship available? And Nevada was the place that was like, I was still a scholarship. So my mom and I came up to Reno um you know had dinner with the coach um met some of the team and then i was like you know it feels right so um you know i signed my letter of intent and came to nevada
0: man so uh that's interesting so i want to talk to you a little bit about what you feel because i feel like the way i was coached in basketball particularly in high school really really had an effect on me in a positive way. And it was very, it was very similar to what you were saying from your coach in junior college. I mean, they were like on you. I mean, just ripping you up. They were not nice. Uh, You know, you were running all day. I can remember, I can remember one game we had, we got, I mean, demolished. It was like one of those things where you just, for whatever reason, you just not on, you know, and it was not a better team. That was the thing that was frustrating. They were a worse team. And we just got smoked at home. And I remember, I remember being in the the locker room after the game and coaches just come in and, you know, if we had, if we had a good week, you know, he'd give us Saturday off or whatever, you know, he comes in and he goes, uh, practice tomorrow, 7. AM, bring your running shoes. And (laughs) we ran for two hours straight. I thought I was going to die. I mean, that was the way it was. And now I fast forward, my son played basketball and is planning on playing this year. We'll see. Conditioning's coming up, we'll see. He right. seems like he's he see he seems like he's actually I gotta hand it to him. I've never seen him so poised. I mean, he's working out, he's running. He gets up in the morning and runs. I mean, I'm really impressed. He's actually really serious about it. But um but I, he went and, and you know, I go to the dinner at the end of the year or whatever, and the coach is just like, you know, he goes my team last year, we won the whole thing, but everybody was really angry and the sportsmanship wasn't that great. And so this year I told my kids, I was like, hey, you know what? Like, you knock someone over, pick them up, you know? And I was like, what? He's <laughs> like, he goes, yeah, if they hit a free throw, you know how you slap hands, go slap their hand. And I was like, what? And so we got in the car and I said, forget everything that guy just said. <laughs> it's like, I just forget all of that. No, let me show you some of the, let me show you some of the bad boys in Detroit. This is how you play basketball, right you right. know what I mean so so tell me like do you think that your coaching in junior college did did it did it just how did that affect you?
1: Well, I think it was one of those things like um it it tested me mentally. I got to the point where um you you realize like the the mistakes you make. Don't just affect you; they affect everybody on your team. Um, and a perfect example would be like: I make a mistake, and everybody runs except for me. Then all mm. the are like, you know, giving you the stink eye. Like, <laughs> yeah. they don't mess up again, you know, because uh, you know then, then it's going to be trouble, right? So right. you start you start getting that accountability, right? You're you're not just playing for yourself; you're playing for um the other four guys on the court, the other 14 guys on the team, you know, things like that. So, um you know, so I think that was a it was a good lesson for me and it also showed me like, you know, I am mentally strong. Um you know, there was I didn't want to miss anything like I had a really bad ankle injury. Um and I just like I just did not want to miss practice cuz I knew like, man, I'm I'm on a good role here. I'm playing. Um and I just didn't want to lose that. Right. So I'm just like, I'm just going to tape up and go, man. Uh, and then it just got kind of that, to that point where I was like, hey, man, you're just, you're not mobile. You're going to hurt yourself more. Um, so I ended up missing like a couple games. And it was like the biggest deal for me. Like, I'm just like, man, I'm letting my team down. You know, I could really be helping them out there. But, um, you know, the teams I played on went like 30 and five and 27 and seven. So they, they did pretty well regardless of if I was playing or not. But, um, but I do remember like the first like week of practice that we were there, uh, the coach, you know, pulls us all aside sides like, hey, listen, you guys need to understand, like, I understand you probably were the best player on your high school team, but there can only be one best player on this team. So, um, you know, you need to find out what your role is and you need to accept it, um, you know, and if you're not willing to do that, you know, there's the door. Uh, I'm going to feel the team just as good next year, you know, like Hmm. just basically the, I don't need you to win speech, you know? Yeah. And and a lot of guys dropped off and it was just, I remember playing against guys in high school that I'm like, these guys are studs. And then next thing you know, it's just, they couldn't handle mentally what we were going through. But um, I'll always say like, I'll never be coached harder than I got coached at that junior college program. Um, So, you know, then after that, it's like any coach is yelling at you. It's like, I've, I've heard worse. And Mm -hmm. you start to listen to the words, not the way it's being said. So uh, I definitely try to preach that to my daughter. Like I said, just started playing basketball not too long ago. Yeah. It's funny you bring that.
2: I've
0: had the same conversation with my kids because, you know, they, it, they're so not all of them but like they're kind of sensitive kids these days you know what I mean they're real sensitive and I think that that's part of it you know what I mean like I I got yelled at so much in, in basketball you know what I mean we, we all did it wasn't just me I mean just the whole team we were constantly being you know forced to run screwing up yelling at us Mil- like you said a military type type coaching to the point where like you know, you, you get, you get a a boss who's yelling at you or you get somebody who's, you know, you get, you're dealing with somebody who's a jerk. It doesn't, it doesn't affect you. You know, I think that's super important. And so, so you, you play basketball at at UNR. Tell me what that was. tell me about the jump. Was there a big jump between playing junior college and playing at UNR?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I was kind of talking about how, like, I, I felt like, you know, I was still growing, I was still. Like I felt like my, the year that I uh, gray shirted in junior college was one of those years that it just like, I wasn't ready to play college basketball. Mm -hmm. And then it was like another stage, like my junior year of college, I think during my senior year, they were talking about that I had um, in like the first three games, I had surpassed the amount of minutes that I played in the entire junior year um, at Nevada. So You know, it was in like the 40-minute range or 49 minutes that I played the entire season. So um, it was just one of those deals, another kind of learning experience where, um, you know, just things that you think like, oh, I have to have 100 post moves. Um, Mm -hmm. You start going, you know, it it, um, just kind of simplify things and go, you know, if I have a couple that I'm really, really comfortable with, that I can go with both hands either way over either shoulder, have a counter to each one of those, um, it becomes a much simpler game. So you're not like worrying about like which which move do I go to or um, things like that. You just try to work on getting really good at doing, you know, eight or ten things rather than mm-hmm. trying to do a hundred things. So uh, And a big thing for me was uh, between my junior and senior year was going to the Pete Newell big man camp in Hawaii. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and that was one of those things I went and there was people from all over the country, all these different names. There was Michael candy that was at uh, Pacific. There was Tim Young from Stanford. Um, just, just a bunch of studs there. Um, I want to say like Darnell Robinson from Arkansas. So just, a bunch of big time guys. And then it's like, and then you're doing one-on-ones with them and you're like, man, I'm keeping up. I'm, you know, I'm doing the same thing they do. I have a similar skill set. Like you start going, you know, the confidence starts, you know, really, um, you know, really building. And then the next thing you know, it's like I go into my senior year and I've got this different confidence level, you know, I'm, of the mentality, like if I catch the ball on the post, um, you know, there's really nothing they can do. So um, unfortunately I played in a system that was more guard centered, where my role was more, you know, I'm gonna set a screen and get somebody open. I'm gonna play good defense. I'm gonna dive on the floor and get loose balls. Um, I'm gonna defend strongly. Uh, I'm gonna block my guy out every time. like. I'm just going to do all the little things that aren't going to show up on a stat sheet um, and just try to be the best teammate that I could. Yeah, you know, um,
0: that's really – so, you know, I had a couple of different things I wanted to ask you about on that. The one thing I thought was really interesting was you uh, you mentioned the uh, get really
1: good at 8 to 10 moves. That kind of translates to wrestling quite a bit. Oh, <laughs> you sure. know. I mean, it's, it's so funny how you hear, like, you know, people are are making fun of the five moves of doom, but it's just like if if you get really good at a, a few things and um, where it's um, the, maybe the crowd knows it's coming and they can get behind you, um, you know, you don't have to do a ton of things really well. You know, it's not like you and I are going to be, uh, chain wrestling, uh, for, for 10 minutes in a match, you know, um, you know, a couple of holds and, um, a couple of counters and, you know, you can make everything, uh, kind of go together seamlessly. And and, and really what we're trying to accomplish is, is just telling that good story. Right. 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 Well, you know, I heard, uh, I
0: heard Jake, the snake Roberts once say, (laughs) when I first started wrestling, I knew a thousand moves and about five years in, I knew a hundred, now I do three and get over. <laughs> you know. And so um, you mentioned a lot about your confidence level. And, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people about mindset. Tell me what you think. You know, you, you mentioned that you had a different confidence level and it improved your game. Tell me more about what you think the mental aspect of confidence and how that plays a role in success.
1: Oh, I think it plays a huge role, man. It's like just... Um... I don't know you hear people say like whether you think you you can or you think you can't you're always right you know it's like Mm -hmm. that's the power of the mind um you know you you can put yourself up to doing so many different things just if you have the confidence or the mindset that that you think you can do those things um you know i was just ironically kind of going back to wrestling i was thinking like um our show this saturday um you know i just did like mad run to the ring, like, um, to kind of, um, save Adam and Luster. And I just like, people were like, you ran so fast. Like you just like came out of nowhere and just like slid under the bottom rope. And then I'm just like, man, I wonder, that's probably the same type of thing it would take to do like a suicide dive. And then I'm just like, maybe I should start doing a suicide dive, you know? Cause it's <laughs> like, you now the mindset, you're like, well, if I could do this, that's no different, you know. Your right. same visualization, all this stuff. So it's just like, wow, man. I'm, um, I don't know if I'm tricking myself into thinking that I could do that, but it's like <laughs> it's the things that you think all of a sudden, like, oh, I, I can do that because I can visualize myself doing it. So, um, but it was one of those things, like, um, and, and being a confident person, I think that uh, uh, it rubs off on your teammates. It rubs off on uh, locker rooms, you know, whatever situation you're in, you know, colleagues. Um, I think you know you uh, um, you know you have that type of mindset. We talked about uh, I was I was teaching a leadership class today, and I was just like um, talking about that confidence level. We talked about body language and posture and things like that, how that can convey uh, confidence, even if you're not confident your posture maybe can convey that. And people are like, oh man, this guy has his stuff together. So mm. uh, I think it's, it really goes back to that, that mindset. So you were teaching a leadership class. What, what do you do for work? Yeah. So I'm a teacher. So I, yeah. um, I actually just, it's so crazy because so I, I finished playing in college in 98 um, and I had 13 units left my senior year. When I got the opportunity to go overseas. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously everybody always dreams about playing professional sports. Um, And I think like sometimes we're really small minded as far as thinking like there's nothing outside the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and in 98, there was the lockout, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a lot of people that were borderline NBA guys would go play in the CBA and borderline CBA guys would go play in the IBA. Um, And I got a tryout in the IBA and there was like 40 something guys there and they had one roster spot open. Um, Mm. So it was just like very difficult that specific year. Um, So I had a, you know, I had an agent that was like, Hey, you know, I have an opportunity for you to go overseas and play. And, um, you know, I was like, well, you know, I want to, I want to take that opportunity. So, Um, I got to go play in Bulgaria, Denmark, Australia, and China. Um, and then basically when I got home, it was just very much like, um, you know, life got in the way, you know, you got married or having kids and, um, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just trying to work a job and make a living and provide and all this stuff. And, uh, the education kind of got put on the back burner. Um, and then you start kind of getting into that. When you're applying for jobs and like, do you have a college degree? I'm Like, well, I've got a, uh, you know, 108 units. Uh, I do not have a <laughs> yeah. college degree, but I have 108 units of college. But it's uh. so when COVID happened, it was just one of those things where I'm like, you know, this is kind of the the opportunity. I was working from home, and I'm like, I'm just gonna take some online classes and just try to knock this out. So uh, I graduated uh, December of 2021 um and then started thinking like well um kind of what can I do like I, I wanted to be a PE teacher so I'm like what can I do with uh, a degree what what else do I need to do before I can become a teacher so um I've been going through that process and then so I just got a a job I today was my first actual day teaching but um I got a PE job at a uh Um, for middle school here at a school right down the road from me. So I teach middle school, I teach uh, uh, leadership, and then I teach an academic skill center uh, for the athletes at the school. So I can kind of share the same type of uh, things I'm talking to you about right now with these athletes about how important it is to to get that education, how that uh, correlates with playing in college and things like that. And the things that coaches are going to be looking for and, um you know how it could be your grades could be that uh um could tip the scales in in your direction when it comes to a coach recruiting two of the very similar player you know one one person has good grades one person doesn't they're always going to take that guy that has the better grades so, right um,
0: wow so you're you're a teacher now that's I'm awesome
1: teacher yeah
0: yeah so now tell me um you you got married, you came back.
1: How old were you when you came back? Um, I was probably maybe 23, 24, mm. something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I had already, I had met my wife my junior year of college. Um, mm. And so she was kind of on the ride uh, the whole time. And uh, yeah, so, and it's kind of crazy. I was just thinking like, as we were talking earlier, about You know, getting, having children laid and things like that. I just remember always when I was, when I was younger thinking, you know, I'm not going to get married till I get like really old, like like 25 or something like that.
0: You know, <laughs> 25.
1: Yeah. Like perspective when you're, when you're young, you think like, Oh, 25, that's, that's old. Cause will probably be close to retiring at 40. Right. Cause, <laughs> cause you don't know any better. You just, like, yeah. cause you'll be really, really old. In your yeah. so um so yeah so we got we got married when i was 25 and um you know just kind of uh went from there
0: man so now tell me uh, so you got married when you were 25 where does wrestling come in
1: um wrestling was ironically i was talking to someone on america online it was probably it might have been adam it might have been corey um but I was talking to someone and they were talking about how they had this wrestling school in Reno and that I should come by. And I literally just never got around to going, you know, hmm. um, that was my, it was my senior year of college. And I was just like, you know, I was, I had talked to these people and, um, and then, you know, a number of years later, um, I, w- I was working with Corey Dayton and, hmm. He, uh, he left his company-wide email open. So someone, as a joke, thought they would write a, uh, an email to the whole company saying, uh, advertising that he had a wrestling show that weekend. Uh, they are wrestling in Susanville, California. Um, so I'm sure in an effort to try to embarrass Corey, uh, they did this. But when I read it, I was like, oh, man, I love wrestling, man. I'm going to go check this show out. Um, so I go to this show, uh, and you know, I see Luster, I see Malachi, I see Flacco, Ugly, Chupy, um, just Corey, uh, all these guys. Uh, Brian Raymond. Um, trying to think of who else is Mustafa. And this is like this is like a this is like a trip down memory lane. Come oh, a, it was like a who's who, man. Like yeah. all these people, you know. It was, <laughs> you know, I want to say Pogo, Russell, Malachi. Uh, Mustafa wrestled on that show Uh, Adam, Corey and Luster had a three way Um, just and I just remember like I remember looking at their website before I went to the show and seeing like Luster listed at like 6'6", Malachi at 6'5", and I remember I was sitting down when these guys walked past me and I was thinking man these guys are huge Mm -hmm. right and you think (laughs) you or I if we were right. speeding up, maybe they don't look that big, but I'm sitting down in a chair and I already, in, in my mind, I have to, this guy's 6'6. Six, six. So, you know, he had the double Mohawks at the time and just, you know, look, it was a larger than life um, mm-hmm. feeling for me. And I was like, dude, that dude can kick my ass right there. Um, <laughs> you know, and obviously that's what you want, right? You want to have those guys on your show that the fans don't go, oh, I could kick that dude's ass. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and there's yeah. a lot of those out there on the NDC. Oh, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of those guys. Right. Yeah. So I, after the show's over, I talked to Corey and I was like, man, how do I get into this? And he's like, well, the guy that trains us, Brian Brigger is right over there. Just go talk to him. So that was on a Saturday and I think I started training the next Saturday. Oh, wow.
0: So, now uh, your wife was in the picture. Were you married at that point or not?
1: Um. I believe she was. Yeah. So, um, cause I remember like going, Hey, this is going to cost me a thousand dollars to get started. Um, and she was like, all right, this is your dream or, uh, you know, this is our next chapter, whatever you, how you however you want to look at it. And, um, she's like, yeah, let's do it. If you, if you want to do it. So, um, so, you know, I, I paid my money and, um, you know, I'd go train with these guys and, um, it's just crazy. You look at it from a training aspect, like when you're training people. Um, and I always thought like everyone that worked for SPW probably lived in Sacramento. Um, very naive thought, right. It's like, right. then you realize some of these guys are coming from Stockton or San Jose or Fresno or whatever. Right. And it's just like, you don't realize how fortunate it is to have like a school in your hometown, but uh, I took full advantage of it, man. I would go there, train on my lunch breaks, and um, I just wanted to get in there as much as possible, you know. Because I, um, you know, I think I started at 27, you know, so mm-hmm. um, so a little later. But you talked to a lot of like, obviously, listening to the trip interview, like yeah. how late he started. So um, yeah, so I don't know, man. It was just then you just begin this like roller coaster ride where you're just like on the road and listening to all these guys that have more experience than you but uh in most cases are younger than you yeah
0: <laughs> well so w- have you always been a wrestling fan was that always something that was in the cards for you
1: oh yeah man it's uh it was I remember my my parents getting me those nine inch rubber Ljn figures oh I had them too
0: I still have them up and my kids have them they're t- they're beat the shreds but oh, I got yeah. them all
1: up there yeah they yeah. Got on them now but it was I remember I started with the uh the Hogan Iron Sheet Pack. Yeah. So those two wrestles I heard, and they got me the ring. So, um, yeah, and then it was just, like, just building the collection after that, man. I had, like, a a small garbage can full of those figures. And yeah. we was just, like, um, we would just have, like, we, we used to videotape, like, put the wrestlers in this position, and then put them in this position. And, like, <laughs> you know, it was, like, this stuff, yeah. playing, you know? of the wrestling matches so it was uh and then you know we we did the wrestling in my buddy's front yard you know just on the grass and um you know it's it's funny how you think back like you know the rules so well so you know it's a it's a coin flip for who wins this match and it's like i've got the belts and i lose the coin flip and i know if i get disqualified I get to keep the belt you know so it's like you're already thinking that mindset at that point uh of how to uh keep yourself with the with the strap yeah no kidding i have to ask you
0: i don't know if this is like you like this for you but being a big guy obviously like you joked about i could do a suicide dive and anybody would tell you you don't have to do that right Right. you know and uh And so do you ever get um, frustrated at all by the fact that you're kind of just by your size, you're a little limited in the ring? You know what I mean? Like as far as because it's like, it's like I just sit there and I go, okay. So it doesn't make any sense for me to sell for some guy who's five foot six. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like I'd love to have just a, you know, a good old fashioned Bret Hart Shawn Michaels, you know, technically sound match. but the thing is, is it six foot seven, you know, like I'm not going to have that match really. You know, do you ever feel the same way?
1: Well, I think sometimes you, you want to do those moves and stuff like that. But I think in many cases, I think your storytelling could get you into that situation where you go, man, these guys just had a a 20 minute match. And um, it was believable to me that this, Uh, this, you know, five, seven guy could beat the seven footer, you know, um, if you're able to tell that story, like for me, it's always like about this guy's not going to pick me up and do anything like that, but I might get overconfident and I might try to do something where, uh, I put myself in danger. Um, Mm. you know, the guy moves out of the way, you take the post or, um, you, uh, take too much time dropping an elbow or something and the guy moves out of the way and somehow the momentum turns. Um, so I remember watching um, I know I want to say it was like Matt Stryker and JR Kratos at uh, mm. at APW. And, mm. and I remember just like the before, you know, obviously I'm at this point, you know, I got to be over 10 years in, right, and, and I'm listening, I I go to this Matt Stryker um, clinic, just to Mm -hmm. listen to him talk, and he's talking about how somebody doesn't have to give you a bunch of moves, right, you could just go, um, you know, I slam you, I go to drop an elbow, you roll one revolution away from me, so I miss that elbow, but it doesn't affect me that much, I kind of, just shake it off a little bit and I go to hit you with something else, miss a leg drop because you roll one more revolution away from me. And then you start selling up into the corner. So then I come running and you move out of the way. So basically I just took three bumps without you doing anything to me. Um, And that obviously uh, in your power meter, you know, Mm -hmm. drains your power. So um, just telling that story, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm listening to them. Say this in this seminar, and then him and J.R. Kratos, they do that exact same thing that night, and it's just like the light bulb goes off, and you're like, wow, like, he was just talking about it. I couldn't really visualize it, and then they do it in the match, and you're like, man, that was awesome. Like, uh, you know, it's not like Matt Striker's picking up Kratos. It's not like he's giving them moves or anything like that. He literally is just avoiding getting hit. Mm, so- yeah
0: so um, you start you start wrestling how long did your training go before you had your first match
1: i think it was close to a year mm-hmm. um and then my first match i actually tagged with Flacco uh against Derevko and then one of the other students that was uh, at our school so mm-hmm. um you know just like you have the the history with Derevko, he was yeah. the, you know he was the opponent of my first match as well so um <laughs> yeah. kind of interlinks all these different people he's
0: been around forever and you know it's it's so interesting he was the first guy i ever met in pro wrestling uh other than ollie who was training us right and and yeah i mean that guy he's been he's been a lot of guys first match he's been a lot of, and he's been the guy who's gotten a lot of guys opportunities uh to to kind of branch out trip being one of them right and so so now um so you go for a year and you know you you basically became in my mind like the big man of the NorCal Reno area, right? Um, so how long before you started getting just I mean we you just kind of going along with the scum for a while and getting a lot of bookings or did you start How quickly were you getting kind of trading on your own name?
1: Um, I I mean I I give kind of all the credit to like Ugly right Ugly brought us in the SPW. you know, that was, like, my first opportunity, so that's, like, I don't know, for me, that's priceless, like, that's, that's a guy that I'll work for, for kind of, um, you know, whatever he feels is fair, like, I just, it's this, uh, this debt that I think I could never repay, so, um, and I was always like that, like, I, I really appreciated the story of, like, the Dudley boys working for ECW even mm-hmm. after they got signed with WWF. Um, mm-hmm. So that was always my mindset. Like I'm going to um, take care of these people that took care of me, kind of giving me opportunities when I first started getting my foot in the door and, um, you know, and then ugly got us to go to Portland wrestling. So they would fly us in there every month and uh, we would take uh, four episodes of TV when we were there. So um, we always got treated really well there. So, I feel like that was kind of the got the ball rolling for me, and then um, Corey Dayton and I in two thousand five we went to uh, to OVW when it was um, the developmental territory for WWF, um, and it's maybe an opportunity that I passed up that I should have taken advantage of because they were like, oh well, you can skip over the beginners class, you can jump right in the advanced class with Rip Rogers and. Um, you know, after the fact, you look back and go, man, that was probably a, a huge opportunity that I potentially, um, you know, missed because of probably just being nervous. Like, um, you know, we had uh, we had two kids at the time and it was just like we could have moved to Louisville, Kentucky and, um, and I could have, you know, I could have made a run at it. Right. So I would have been 30 at the time. So it would have been an opportunity, you know, to, to go for it and, uh, and, and kind of give it the best shot. But, um, you know, you look back and it's like maybe, maybe a missed opportunity or, or whatever, but. Then, well, that, well everything, can,
0: ha- everything yeah. happens, everything happens for a reason. Right. Oh, so, absolutely. so, you know, I mean, I think about this all the time because my, my story in wrestling is a little different in that, I started wrestling, so Ollie started a wrestling promotion, Oliver John, yeah. uh, or started a wrestling training school with uh, Paul DeMarco, and this is 97, 98. And I get in there probably two or three months before it closes down. And so Justin Caton was there, who's the guy who runs Next Level. Derevko was there. Schizo started PCW was there. I mean, a lot of promotions came out of that place. And so we, uh, so I just started training in my backyard and then you know uh at the beginning spw uh before ugly took the book it was this guy named rich roby who found found ugly and uh and i was a part of that but you know it's funny because i i sometimes look back because i ended up going on a mission for my church but interestingly right before that i had talked to going talked to uh, off of the wild Samoan who ran the wild Samoan training center about going out to pennsylvania and training there and the idea they had was six months we give you one match the guys i think it was dr tom was the guy who was kind of the one that was the guy who was choosing everybody back then he said he comes out all the time we'll get you a job in security but i was like i gotta go on this mission and you know i think back and i go you know could i have made a run at that maybe i could have and maybe i would have become a wwe superstar and i'd have been touring the world but i'd also be pretty jacked up in my like the injuries right and i wouldn't have been around for my kids you know right. you got five you got five girls yep. you'd have been you've been on the road 200 days a year you know right so
1: i mean I, I look at a lot of opportunities like that that i passed over i think like i went to um you know like a uh, tna tryout and um you know so we went to universal studios in florida um and i thought that went really well and It was one of those things where I almost felt like they were testing me. Like, uh, I was like, hey, should I come back tomorrow for the live show? And they're like, no, Terry Taylor's like, no, we don't have anything for you. And then I fly home, and then I'm watching it on TV, and I'm like, son of a gun, man. There's a couple guys that weren't as good as me, but they're doing security on that show. I'm like, I could have been doing security on that show, and then Mm – Maybe you work your way in after that. So that's another opportunity. Then Virgil Flynn was going to Harley Race's camp in Missouri. So he's like, you guys got to come, man. Uh, you guys got to do this. It's, it's great. Um, you know, you're going to learn a little different training style and things like that, right? So we go there 2007 and 2008, and 2008, I'm the guy that wins the opportunity Uh, to go wrestle uh, at Pro Wrestling Um, NOAA. That's huge. As they're setting it up, they're like, oh, we want you to be there the end of September um, in 2009. And and my daughter's going to be born in October. And I'm like, I just, I can't miss, uh, I can't risk missing the the birth of my child. So uh, I passed on that as well. You know, so it's Mm. just, You think it's, like, all these things that are, like, over and over. Um, yeah. And then Adam and I got to, to go to FCW for uh, an invitation-only tryout camp. Um, and that's when Jinder Mahal got signed.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: so I just thought, like, another opportunity, um, you know, to, to kind of get your foot in the door and work some security stuff, extra stuff with WWE and um, – you know, it was always the, uh, you're too big, you need to lean out. And then i go back leaner and then like, oh, you got to put on some size. And it was just (laughs) always this, you know, it's not the way you are right now. You have to be something different. So, Mm -hmm. um, so just things like that. And then, you know, I think the last thing for me was uh, the tough enough that AJ Kirsch was on was I went there and I made the, uh, the final whatever 26 mm. um and you know and then got that got eliminated so for me that was like okay uh, at that point um i kind of was i think at peace with like this probably isn't gonna happen for me you know mm. um, yeah. so i don't know but, i just try to my whole thing now is just like trying to give back and uh try to try to do what i can as far as sharing the knowledge that I've gained over the last 20 years
0: well you know what's interesting about that I was just having this conversation I was at I was teaching a class at church and there came up a topic about people being afraid of failure and I kind of told him I go hey listen you know let's talk about this failure idea because it was like you know I thought when I was 17 18 years old I thought I was for sure going to become a WWE superstar I was going to main event Wrestlemania I was going to tour the world Right. Be rich. And I was like, and that didn't happen. You know, I didn't make the WWE do any of that stuff. Uh, but you know what? I did a lot of really cool things in wrestling. It's like, I, you know, I got to work with Impact. I got to work with New Japan. I got to do MTV2 with Lucha Libre USA. I got to meet some of the my, my idols in wrestling. I mean, when we did Impact, I mean, I'm hanging out. You know, Bubba Ray Dudley's talking to my son who's playing on my phone. I mean, I got to do all this cool stuff so was it would you consider it a failure because I didn't make the WWE I mean yeah you could probably look at it that way but man I've had a colorful life that of experiences that I don't know what my life would look like if I didn't I would have felt it was I would have felt more regret never trying than I do for not making it to the WWE you know what I mean yeah And I I know so so tell me like what you know you you were in there with Brian and was Mustafa still training over there when you were there. Yep. Okay, so you and I know you and the scum Adam and and Luster and Shoopy Corey Dayton Malachi. You guys were all just like super tight. I mean, I, I never saw any of you without the others really or some combination of you. Tell me what some of those guys mean to your career.
1: Oh, it was just like, um, you know, I feel like I built that bond with like Adam and Luster specifically, um, like kind of right off the bat. It was, um, I know Luster would tell the story about when Brian was telling him that I was going to come and start training. He was like, oh, we've got the seven-footer coming in. And he's like, my expectations was you were going to be seven feet tall. You were going to be 200 pounds. You were just going to be goofy as all hell. And, um, you know, and then when I came in, obviously, um, I was probably maybe I don't know 265, let's say. Um, so sizable guy, uh, mobile, athletic. Um, you know, so sort we're of like, all right, all right, so we can probably do something with this guy. This guy's gonna be all right for us to, to you know, go on the road and things like that. So I was always, always the guy that would drive. So, um, you know, and and I always really just kind of um, listen to what Mustafa said, and that's uh, you've got two ears and one mouth, so you know, uh, listen twice as much as you talk. So, um, so many stories, like just on the road with Mustafa specifically, like just probably not saying a word, literally just listening to stories that he's telling about, um, you know, being in the Carolinas and. Uh, ECW stuff and with Cornette and just all these different stories that at the time when you're listening you have absolutely no idea what he's talking about nothing makes any sense and then throughout your career you will see things and you're going oh that's what he was talking about you know Mm -hmm. so many like aha moments throughout all that and um, just you know kind of getting that uh, the mindset of you know, we always thought we were better than everybody else, right? We thought we were the best trained, um, you know, we always thought like we'll go to SPW and now everyone has to raise their game. You know, ugly was a big thing. Like uh, I'm going to bring in these guys and, you know, if you're not uh, going to keep up, then you probably should, should get out. Um, so I think it was a, a way to weed out some guys that maybe uh, shouldn't be there, but we're, you know, maybe fill in space at the time. So, um, so I don't know. It, it always feels good when someone tells you you know, obviously pads your ego. Um, and someone says, Hey, you're raising the bar for the rest of our company. So, um, but yeah, just, just traveling with those guys, man. Just, you think about how many years, how many miles we travel, travel together. We used to, um, work for Rakishi and gang promotion in, uh, In LA. So we used to travel. Me, Chupi, Adam Luster, uh, Malak, and Drake Nelson. Like, we were the only team that they had that was legitimately all from the same city. So, um, and I think, like, when you watch things like that, you see, like, okay, well, obviously these guys know what the other's thinking, kind of know where to be. Um, They just click. So it was always pretty, pretty special. Like, having matches like that yeah
0: do you um uh, is there anybody else outside of that group that you really enjoyed working with
1: uh, i mean getting an opportunity to work with oliver john i think is always cool uh prime time and i i think always had really good matches rick luxury i thought was awesome um i got to work with brian cage a couple of times always like top notch um I've worked Frost a ton of times, Ugly a ton of times. Like, um, you know, I mean, I like, I don't know, I like, I like working with all those guys, and then just, you know, sprinkling those those opportunities to work with Gangrel and Rikishi, um, you know, and some of the other stars that you see, like um, maybe making their uh, their way back from being uh, in the big time. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are always like good opportunities, but I always thought like those things were always kind of fueled by the popularity of Adam and Luster. You know, I, mm-hmm. I always felt like I was riding their coattails, um, you know, cause it was, they're going to be in a big time match and maybe it's going to be a six man. So, hey, we need somebody else and, and you're the guy. So um, I always felt like, you know, blessed to have those opportunities. And, you know, those are, it's it's my favorite tag team to watch is, is those guys. Um, so it's just, uh, obviously, it has to do with the friendship of just wanting to see your buddy succeed and just also knowing how much work went into getting where they got. Um, and I don't know, I always thought that that they got passed up. Like, I always thought they were so much better than they got credit for and they should have had more opportunities, but just... Uh, they really were. Happening.
0: They really were. I mean, as a guy who's promoted wrestling shows and and knows what you know there's some guys that just they have it you know what I mean whatever it is and that tag team together I mean I remember the first time I met Adam you know it was before he had any tattoos he was right. still doing the trendsetter thing you know and it was right at the beginning of his career I did a show I my first show I ever ran I was 21 years old it was 2003 I think probably 2000 it might have been 22 so it's to 2003 I put on a show and Adam and um Corey and Chupi showed up right and I didn't have I didn't have any I I told them I was like look I don't have any money to pay you to do the show uh or wrestle the show but if you want to do a promo I'll throw you you know I'll throw you some some gas money you could do a promo and I'll get you on the next show and Adam and Corey did a thing uh together and then Derevko and Chupi were going to do a thing we were going to build to a tag match between the four of them and uh I could tell from the from the promo that Adam that they were different they were a step above even at that point they were a step above all the other guys and then watching them work and so so when him and Luster got together I mean man like there I I can't think of a tag team in this area that looked and worked like superstars like they did you know what i mean it's just it's right. it's it's surprising to me that wwe never picked them up right I mean, because they i i never saw a show they didn't get over right exactly so um now so what's next for your wrestling career where are you at now what do you want to do because i've seen you work you're still working you can still go
1: yeah i know but it's like i i remember years ago that i'm like man i think i gotta hang it up because you always have that that self-doubt where you're like, I, I'm i holding people back. And that's always like, it, I feel like it's so cliche. Like you hear like, I don't want to be a parody of myself or whatever like that. But um, I, I truly just don't want to hold people back. Like I feel like if I can bring something to the show, then, uh, then I'm more than willing to do that. And, and I think at this point, it's really not about like what kind of push I could get. It's more about like, how can I help uh, younger guys um, maybe get up the, the same mindset as me? So, um, you know, I, I put something on on Facebook the other day because it was just it was eating me because the choking in front of the referee. Right. It's mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the way that people are trained or or what, but it's like I was watching a match and it was like a guy is choking the person in front of the referee. And the referee's counting and the guy goes, I've got till five. And it's like, well, no, you don't. You, uh, you're not allowed to cheat. You know, Mm. that's why people do it behind the ref's back. That's why there's a distraction, whatever. But, um, you know, there's that misconception. Like, I don't, I don't know where that, that came from where you think that you're allowed to cheat for five seconds. Um, You know, when when in reality, my view is um, the referee is giving you a warning like they're counting and they're like, if you do that again, I'm going to disqualify you. So quick story about that. Me, um, I want to say me, Adam Luster, um, Thatcher, we went to um, like an evaluation at OVW. Um, This was. I don't think they had anything to do with developmental, but for some reason that day, um, uh, Johnny Ace was there. Uh, Mark Henry, um, Gail Kim, they were all there just like watching. And let's say there's 30 people there and they go, okay, everyone's going to be involved in a match. Um, there's people there trying to get jobs as referees. So there's a six man tag. Um, The first two guys are tussling around. The guy pushes him into the corner, starts choking him. The referee starts counting, says, if you do that again, I'm going to disqualify you. And it was like, shoot him buckle to buckle to the other open corner. Something, something, choking him again. And the referee's like, ring the bell. So the referee's trying trying to say, hey, I'm the authority figure. He's trying to get a job. He's trying to prove to WWE like, hey, I'm the authority figure. I'm going to disqualify someone if they're cheating because that's what you would do in WWE in theory, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So four of these guys in this six-man tag do not get to wrestle a match Mm -hmm. because that happened. And you can think, well, oh, so these guys should be all pissed off or whatever. But it's like, then you got to look at the referee. It's like, well, do I get buried because these guys aren't listening to the rules of the, um, you know, the authority figure in this match? Um, you know, so it's, it's one of those things. And I think you have that the referees are like, well, it's not the finish of the match. Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. disqualify you. Um, but at the same time, you just make the referee look, you know, um, Terrible. You know, you, you make them look like they don't have any authority, um, you know, and then you have the fans that are like, hey, why aren't you disqualifying that guy? He's cheating right in front of you. Right. Um, and it was just one of those things. It was just like um, it just really irritated me.
0: Mm, yeah. Can you tell me what is the uh, have you been, have you ever been injured in the ring and what was the worst one you had?
1: Uh, I actually have never been injured in the ring. Yeah. Um, mm. I could say maybe I was injured outside of the ring. I remember that there used to be that promotion called Brawl that mm. all the Antioch guys were running. Um, and I was wrestling Adam and he cross bodied me from the top rope to the outside. But Adam was notorious for when he came out to the ring to be spitting water, right? It was mm. his uh, his heel persona. He was going to mm. spit water up in the air, but strategically over fans that were uh he didn't appreciate so (laughs) so there was water on the floor and I caught him and I fell down so I didn't realize what was going on but um you know we finished that match and then we got right in the car and we drove to Portland Oregon for the Portland wrestling tapings and I just remember being like my knee feels kind of sore it was like um swollen and stuff but I was like, oh, I'm going to just get like the those icy hot patches or whatever. So ice my knee, you know, on this trip from Sacramento or wherever, Bay Area, all the way up to Portland, Oregon. Um, and then when we get home that Monday, I go to the doctor and I say, man, I think I messed up my knee. Uh, and they are like, oh, well, uh, it feels too stable for anything to be wrong. So I'm like, all right. So obviously you guys are the mental, medical professionals. Um, you know, I'll just do the rest, ice, you know, compression, elevate, right? So I'll, I'll do the, the the methods that I learned treating injuries. So um, so I continue to wrestle and lift weights and uh, do all the normal stuff for probably close to a year. And then it's just like my knee is like clicking and popping and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I go back in and just go, hey, I don't know what's going on, but it just, it doesn't feel right. Um, so I do some tests. They say, man, it feels stable. Doesn't like there's anything going on. Nothing showed up on the MRI. But what we'll do is we'll go in and we'll do a scope. Um, mm. If there's any scar tissue, we'll clean it up. Um, if there's something really wrong, then we'll fix it. Um, so they go in there and they show me the video of inside my knee afterwards. But there was no ACL at all. So they had to huh. do like the cadaver graph and uh, put a put an ACL into my knee. So um yeah so that was probably the only injury that i can think of like i've never been hurt by someone um and you know knock on wood i've never hurt anyone either so Uh, yeah that's a that's a big claim
0: i mean as a big guy like you that you never hurt anybody that's that's a good claim is there any is there anybody that's kind of the up-and-comers now that you would love to work with
1: um you know what so we had midas creed on Mm. on our show this Saturday. I think that guy definitely talented. Um, There's, I think there's a couple guys from PCW. I know, um, uh, I want to say it's Ray Sean Prince. I think it's super talented as well. So there's definitely some guys. I mean, I'm I'm not as, as on the scene for sure as I used to be, Um, you know, but I definitely like seeing these guys come in and, um, I went to PCW when they did this last Young Lions Cup to kind of, like, help agent matches. And, um, you know, you see Illumide and Jason Xavier and some of these guys. And, um, you know, just what you want to see. Like, I remember seeing Illumide at uh, an SPW. We had, a, we had some guys fly in here from from Wisconsin. So, um, so we had a show on the Saturday, and then SPW had their show on the Sunday or Halloween show. So I was like, Oh, well, I'll just take you guys there. Uh, we'll get on that show. And um, it was just one of those things. Like I had never met this guy, Illuminae, but just looking at him physically, you're like, that dude looks like a wrestler, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in shape, athletic, looks like he's strong. And um, so, you know, just watching him in that young lions cup, I thought was, was pretty good. So. Um, there's some guys like that, but I mean I feel like there's not like a um, that um, the wish list for me like, oh man, I gotta work with this guy before it's all done. Um, yeah. you know, like I feel like I've had really good matches like with Adam or if I work luster, obviously just based off of um, the familiarity really um, mm-hmm. knowing what they do and um, I don't know, just things like that. I just worked with the midnight heat this last weekend. And mm. Those guys are fantastic. Um so just I don't know. I think there's a lot of a lot of good good talent out there. Um you just hope that you have uh I know like Ugly used to do like a um like a critiques or whatever like that. Um, you know, and you just hope like some of those guys would, would go and, and talk to an ugly or a prime time or Luxury, Adam Luster, those guys, and just kind of go, hey, would you mind watching my match? And hopefully take the critique and take it seriously and try to make those changes. You know, I think that's really the mark of those those guys that really want to get better is when they're going to say, hey, can you watch my match? And you say, absolutely, I'll watch it. And here's my realistic critiques. And they go, thank you and the next
2: time you watch him
1: wrestle
0: they've changed those things yeah wow yeah I you know I've I've been getting back into it and kind of going to shows and stuff I've seen a couple of guys that are new that I just I mean Trip Rogers is somebody who just kind of I think he has it you know what I mean he just he kind of get it gets it with that onesie gimmick he's got going on and stuff like that and then there's this guy I don't I don't know who he is I met him um this uh this last show uh, JMM I don't know what that stands for but right. that guy is crazy charisma I mean knows how to work a crowd you know right. what I mean just uh, watching his match I'm like man this guy you know he you know I, I like he comes into the he comes in and I just go okay so just another you know he's another indie guy or whatever and then but then he goes out there and I go oh he just transformed into like a uh, just a, a great heel bad guy just really does does a great job so there's a lot of those guys out there and of course you know the too fresh i really like think those guys just know what they're doing you know and so man so uh so now you know we've talked about your wrestling we talked about basketball now you're teaching do you feel like do you have the same passion for teaching i mean it's been one day right but do you feel like this is
1: i i did i substitute taught (laughs) at this school since january so um I just, I really like the vibe where I'm at. So, um, so yeah, I I think I'm really going to enjoy it. I'm really trying to click with the kids and things like that and try to um, just had a coaching meeting today for coaching girls basketball. So, um, you know, I think I'm trying to take the things that I learned playing basketball. I've I've always coached over the last 20 years or so um, high school or, uh, or just doing individual workouts, things like that. Just trying to, Really, I felt like this community here treated me so well when I played here that that's kind of the ultimate goal is uh, is to give back. Um, I've been trying to help these guys um, get recruited to play in college, um, so it's it's very very much a passion of mine really to to help that uh, that stuff happen. There's just not uh, a whole lot of coaches that come to Northern Nevada, unfortunately, because it's far from a hotbed for um, for recruiting, I'd like to change or help change that, you know, make it where, um, coaches go, Oh, this person came out of Northern Nevada. Uh, and so did this person. And so did this person. Maybe I need to start sending some, uh, some recruiting that way or, um, get in contact with some coaches over here. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that's going to happen. And on a side note, you talk about JMM and that's a guy that we trained
0: oh yeah yeah did he train out with you guys nice yeah Yeah, he's he's good man he's he knows what he's doing you know another one i think he trained with you was a jaya jaya
1: yeah so and so that's the ultimate example of the guy that just wants to make it right so he trained with us um got to a certain point and then the school closed down here so his whole thing was well i want to still train where can I go um, that I can train? And uh, I would hope that you would agree that um, you're not going to get much better than Vinny with sorrow uh, oh, yeah. as far as training. And um, ironically, we talk about just just learning in general, and people that will take advice or say, "Hey, will you watch my match?" Um, I, I took some advice from Vinny, which I wasn't—he wasn't even talking to me, but. He was talking to Frost about um, how when you throw something that you're going to miss, it has to look the same as when you throw something when you're going to hit it. Um, you know, and it just like resonated with me. Like, okay, well, um, and, and a perfect example that I can use is like if you talk about samurai throwing a back elbow um, to kind of get into the shot a little bit, elbow up, hand here, just in case you want to whip reverse, Duck the mm-hmm. elbow, whip reverse the guy. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. If he hits the back elbow, the hand is still there. So yeah, um, those are the type of things that, um, that I think, you know, not telegraphing something where you don't throw the over-the-top clothesline. You throw, like, straight across regardless if the guy's going to duck or not. So, um, but that was, like, that's yeah. within the last year that I heard that from Vinny that I'm like, wow, dude, that makes sense. Yeah. Incorporate that. And I'm going to pass that on to anyone who will listen.
0: Yeah, man. So real quick before, you know, we, I, I appreciate you giving me this time. Tell me, you know, give me a little bit more. What are you, this is going to be kind of a loaded question, but tell me what your family, your wife, your kids, what that means to you, what they mean to you.
1: Oh, it's, it's everything. So, um, when I always think like you ask somebody uh, tell me about yourself or who are you? For me, it's always, um, you know, husband of 22 years, father of five daughters, you know, that's, that's the the top of the list before (laughs) anything else, before, uh, professional wrestler, pro basketball player, um, whatever the job that i'm doing at the time you know um that's that's the top of the list that's that's the number one priority so um you know unfortunately i think it's that kind of shows your priorities in life you know if if the first thing you say is uh you know i'm a shoe salesman um you know maybe that's your passion and that's what you're focused on um you know but for me my uh I live my life for my daughters and my wife. You know, that's like, um, I work, you know, I work a job for, um, not so I can buy stuff for myself so I can make sure to afford them the life that's, um, that I think they deserve.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you had to run off a couple of boys? I'm sure you're a scary, uh, you're a scary dad to, to have to meet.
1: Well, so my wife has been a teacher for, this is her 21st year. So I've all, my girls have always gone through my wife's elementary school. So Mm. every boy that knows my daughters also knows me because I'm very much a presence in, uh, all school activities. You know, I'd be in my wife's classroom, um, doing whatever, you know, just making my presence known. So a lot of times they'd be like, um, you know, oh, that's uh, such-and-such's dad right there, or mm-hmm. such-and-such's dad is uh, is that really big guy, the giant guy, or um, you might not, not be able to reach that, but such-and-such's dad can. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think um, the most people know who I am, you know. Like I, I know my daughter was talking about, oh, you know, I met this guy, and he says he knows you, and I'm like, sure he does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: involved in in a lot of things yeah man i my uh my daughters are younger than yours uh at least your older ones they're 14 and 12 and it just feels like it was so funny overnight i just looked at my daughters and they got dressed up for something. i don't remember what they were they both got dressed up and i look at them and i'm like when did you become young women and i was like i am going to kill anybody who comes near you you know what I mean? And, and I'm the same, I'm the same as you. Like I go to their school, they, they all, they go to K through 12 charter schools. So they've been at the same school, their whole school careers, all four of them. And uh, so everybody knows who I am, you know, over there and stuff like that. But yeah, it's so different, man. I mean, with the boys, it's so different. And I don't, I don't know why I'm not as worried about my, like my son's got a girlfriend and she's really nice and he's brought her by the house and, you know, I know her family and all that. But there's something about boys coming near my girls that i'm just it's a different deal
1: (laughs) Uh, oh i'll I'll just uh say that it's probably because you know the mindset of that age of boy because you were once there you
0: know Uh, i know i know i try to tell them though you know even my son i tried to explain to them how how important like he my son didn't listen to me i told him i'm like you you don't want to Get into a relationship in high school. It's it's such a time suck and dr- it's so much drama you don't right, need right. in your life. You know what I mean? You think back. I had a I had a high school high school you know crush, sweetheart, best friend, whatever you want to call her. And you know, like I, I guess I don't regret it because she was an important part of my my life and getting me where I am. But at the same time, it was a lot of drama that I really didn't need. You know what i mean uh, and and i missed out on so many opportunities to like go and meet new people and 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 stuff because i was so hung up on this one person and that's really the time where you want to just have have fun because you're not going to end up with them anyway <laughs> you know what i mean of
1: course yeah yeah so yeah. I well, let, let me the uh the have uh have fun being a kid you know like for me it was you know i was all sports man until um Until I was in college for sure um had no no interest in having a girlfriend um you know i I just wanted to, to play basketball or or you know baseball or just whatever sport we were playing as kids like um mm-hmm. you know it was just like those where my focus is man i I want to be an athlete uh I love playing sports, so that was always my focus I didn't have time for the other stuff,
0: yeah. Well, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you the questions I ask uh, everybody. First thing, what do you think is your number one success in life?
1: Oh, my daughters, for sure. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's like my my oldest daughter uh, is going into her junior year of college. She's going to be a lawyer like herself.
0: Oh, nice. Um,
1: so uh, we'll probably have to connect at some point for her to maybe get some insight from you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, she's, a, she's a Sac State, right?
1: No, she's actually here at University of Nevada. So um, I don't know. I know she talked about maybe going to law school. um, I'm not sure exactly, but yeah, so she, we took a trip. Uh, This is kind of funny because ugly always says, oh, she's at Sac State, right? Because there was a show that I was telling them like, hey, we're going to be at Sac State doing a visit because she Mm -hmm. was getting recruited to um, I think uh, be a rower there for mm. their uh, for their crew or, or whatever rowing team, cement uh, canoes or whatever. So we went there and the campus was beautiful, man. We had a great time. On our way back, it probably took us eight hours to get home because there was like a canola oil spill on 80, so <laughs> we got stuck between two exits. So. Like, nowhere to go. So, mm. um, but it didn't feel like it took very long because we were just talking about all the great things about that campus and how cool it would be to go there, how close it would be. But um, she ended up just deciding that she was going to go to UNR and, um, you know, kind of follow. My wife and I both graduated from there. So, um, you know, local. It's nah. so so, leg- legacy kid. And- and really what was, what's crazy and, and uh, you know, I, I can't be more happy, but it was, she was just like when our youngest daughter was born, she made a comment that we thought, oh, she's just saying what we want to hear. And it was, I don't know if I want to go away to college because I don't want to miss, um, you know, my youngest sister growing up. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, that's really nice of you to say, but that's really what the decision came down to is like, I want to be close to you guys so I can just come over and hang out with her whenever I want. So, yeah. um,
0: Is, is there a good, is there a good uh, pre-law advisor over there at UNR? Is she talking to a pre-law guy? Oh,
1: you know, I am not sure, but I know that they do have, um, I want to say it's like, I know there's like a judicial college on campus. So I don't know exactly what the law program is, but um, yeah because if, yeah,
0: if she's if uh, she's if she's a junior that means that this next summer is probably when she's going to want to start thinking about taking the LSAT. Oh, is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. You you know you, you got I think you got my info, my number yeah. and stuff. You can always have her just give me a call Sure. Uh, and I and I'm happy to just kind of give her some info. You know, cuz it, it's so hard to figure out where you want to go, what you want to do. You know, I actually took my LSAT at UNR. Um oh, okay yeah so but uh but yeah you know i'm happy to i do a lot of mentoring of law students so you can totally uh i'll try to convince her not to do it and then (laughs) and then if she wants to do it still then i know she's going to be a good lawyer so um no but that i always love that does she have an idea what she wants to do in the law or just wants to be a lawyer
1: well it's it's kind of crazy because at first she went to a uh, uh like a technology high school where she was in the medical program so when she graduated from uh, high school, she could have um, just went straight into being a paramedic. Like they have the ambulances here in town mm-hmm. called Renza. Mm-hmm. So she could have just went straight into that. Um, and then at some point she's like, you know, I think I want to be like a, a malpractice lawyer, you know, mm-hmm. so like, the totally script, right? Yeah. I want to go after bad doctors. Oh um, yeah. And, you know, so is this a, so, yeah, so I don't know exactly what, what happened, but, um, yeah, so she just decided um, instead of going the medical route, she was going to go um, into that. So I don't know exactly what the goal is. Um, sure. I'm not sure if she knows what the goal is at this point, but. Um, sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I would tell I would also tell her you know i thought i was going to be a prosecutor i thought i was going to be prosecuting criminals and then i fell into personal injury and wrongful death and this is perfect for me okay and uh and so you know go in with an open mind maybe you have an idea what you want to do but you might fall into something you never even thought of so yeah man just give her my info and i'd be happy to talk to her so now um so so what is you what would you say is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from um i mean i think
1: like just as far as like so like I said, my wife has been a teacher for 21 years, right? So she's been like that solid, you know, know what I want to do. And and I feel like I've had like 40 jobs or something like that. Never like um, stuck with something like, and so hopefully this is the career change that's going to be really good for me you know, going into something that, uh, um, you know, that I really enjoy and, something that I can do until retirement. That would be hopefully what's going to happen. But yeah, that's kind of like what I think is, um, you know, working for some companies that I think like potentially could have been a career and then just for one reason or another, mostly wrestling, I think um, kind of going off track and going, oh, well, I want to take these bookings and that doesn't kind of uh, line up with this job. So I'll just let this job go take these bookings and then I'll go back and get something different. So um, mm. maybe something like that would be the, maybe the downfall, just um, not uh, not having the, the concrete idea of what I want to do when I grow up. And maybe I don't have that yet either.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. But you know what? I mean, look, there's no time limit on this stuff. You know what I mean? You, I, I talk to I me mean, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I was telling one of my law clerks who just left, she was saying something along the lines of, "Oh man, you know, I'm not going to be done with law school till school till 28." I was like, "I didn't graduate law school till 31, you know, and here I am now, and it's been you know 11 years. I can't believe it's been that long, but I mean, here I am 11 years later, and I've had a great career. I've done way better than I ever thought I could do. I, you know, I've gotten all the awards and done all the stuff, and I was like, so it doesn't matter, you know." It doesn't matter when you start if you find your passion you can find it at 40 50 60 and you know and have a very fulfilled life so there's no time limit on that stuff of course yeah so last question i ask everybody and that is you know at some point later on down the road you're going to pass away and there's going to be a funeral and there's going to be a eulogy what do you hope the one thing would be that someone would say in your eulogy
1: Uh, i would hope it would be a great father you know like um i feel like A lot of people kind of give that, uh, give me that compliment. And I'm always very hesitant, um, to take that compliment. Like, obviously I do the best that I can, but you, uh, obviously, you know, like there's, there's no manual, right? You're just doing what you think is the right thing to do. And, um, you know, sometimes you look back and you just like, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I did the right thing there or, um. You know maybe something gets questioned and you're just like you know uh i thought that was the best decision at the time and for us sometimes like with our older two girls like um you know my wife was raised catholic right so when we met we started going to uh her church and um you know i kind of we just got involved with that and um and we thought that was the right path right we're gonna uh, have our kids go to, um, you know, Catholic, um, you know, learning things, um, you know, confirmation, all these, all these things that we feel like is going to help um, put their life down the right path. And then you kind of get like, well, why'd you force us to do that? And it's just like, you know, that's that's what we thought was going to be a good foundation uh now that you're an adult you know you choose your path um yeah we we try to point you in the right direction um you know our girls have never been in trouble um always been great students um so as much as sometimes you think like you're doing the best thing then it's those things sometimes where you go maybe i didn't do a very good job um you know and then you have to kind of just look at yourself in the mirror and just go hey like this is what i I thought was the best um, but well listen
0: you just you just got through saying it. none of your kids have been in trouble they're all good kids right. I, I'd say that's a win
1: you know what I mean yeah I, I believe that wholeheartedly but it's just it's one of those things where um you know maybe you start thinking it's not appreciated or whatever but I felt the same when I was uh when I was growing up you know I thought my parents were stupid and they didn't know what they're talking about and My dad would always tell me when you grow up, when you get older, I'm going to continue to get smarter, you know, and that has nothing to do with his knowledge growing. it will have something to do with my knowledge growing and going, Hey, well, my dad said that I thought he was full of shit, but 20 years later, now I know that he was right when he told me this, but I was rebelling or, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're old. Same thing with wrestling, right? you would like, oh, my mindset maybe on how a match goes together. Maybe people say, oh, you're out of touch or whatever, and you hear that about a lot of old school guys, and uh, mm-hmm. you know. But then at some point you get old and you go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be taking all these crazy risks. And, <laughs> yeah, right. right. So, yeah.
0: yeah, I love going into into matches, and you know, I've worked for uh, ACW, and you know direct because the booker, and he's like, I don't want you to take a bump. And I'm like, great. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, great. Sounds awesome. (laughs) So no, but you know, you say about, about, about parenthood and kids, you know, and also growing up, you know, my dad, I'm I'm at the age my dad was when he was going through like the thick of his stuff, you know, like his demon stuff and all that. And I have a lot of resentment for a lot of years about that stuff. But the thing is, is that now that I'm his age, Kind of have a different understanding of like the pressure he was under and what he was dealing with, with kids and trying to provide and do all these things without any, I mean, he didn't have any role model at all for how to do it. And, you know, I think our kids are the same way. Like I, there, are, I don't know how many days I just want to wring one of their necks for just, you know, being so, I mean, yeah, I think my favorite thing to say to my kids is that's like, I don't understand how someone who I know is so smart can be so stupid. You know what I mean? Like you just, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, but they'll figure it out. And, you know, you're doing, you're doing exactly what, I mean, you know, you, you're learning, I I said this to my son when he turned 13, we started having some problems. We were just crack, you know, we were just really, really butting heads. And I finally told him, I go, Hey, listen, man, here's the deal. Like you've never been a teenager before and I've never parented a teenager before. So I'm going to try to cut you a little slack. You try to cut me a little slack we're trying to figure this out together and that's really all it is like you said there's no rule book for this stuff (laughs) you know we're all trying to just figure it out and do not you know not have to pay for therapy for them when they're older you know what i mean (laughs) so well listen man it's been great listening to you and talking to you and getting to know you a little bit better we've known each other for i mean 15 years probably and i never had a chance to to even really have a conversation like this with you just because we're always we were either I was promoting a show and running around so busy or you were trying to figure out what match you were going to do and all these things so it's been really great to to get to know you uh and get to know your mindset and uh you know you're just I've always thought you were just a great guy so I'm really glad that you know we were able to do this so awesome man
1: well, I appreciate the opportunity man it's a it's one of those things like uh <laughs> listening to all these other people and I was like man I think um, you know what well, same thing like getting to know you as well i think it's it's a really cool opportunity and um i'm glad that you're uh you know putting your time and effort into doing something like this where um you know we can learn more about other people that we know and uh their story as well so I think it's really yeah cool. yeah
0: well listen i i appreciate it uh and we'll, we'll have to have you back you know i'm going to start a uh a top seven list uh every like i was thinking about doing once a month where we just do top seven on some topic and maybe we'll do basketball or something like that and just the top seven basketball players from the 80s and 90s or something oh, awesome. yeah, yeah have you have you back on so for those who've been listening i appreciate you listening subscribe we got a bunch of other stuff coming on i'm, I'm working on some really interesting ones i'm hoping fingers crossed i think i have a sex worker that's going to come on so that'll be fun to hear i think a mormon talking to a sex worker will be a will be a fun listen. And uh, and then I've got, of course, I got more wrestlers. I got more more religious stuff. I got more mental health people. We got all sorts of stuff. So appreciate everybody and thanks. Uh, thank you, Paul, Steve, whatever you want to call you. You're just a good. You're just a good dude. So I appreciate you coming on. All right, man. I appreciate it.